Welcome back to our podcast, The Mac and Wooly Show, a podcast where we discuss and explore the intersection of spirituality and business leadership. I'm Jennifer Wooley, one of your hosts. And I'm Nydia McGregor, your other host. In this episode, yay, episode two, we're going to talk about discernment. And because we are talking about discernment, we are joined by uh, an expert on the topic, Dr. Thomas Plant, the Augustine Cardinal B. Professor of Psychology, and by courtesy, Religious Studies at Santa Clara University, and the Director of Applied Spirituality Institute. He is also an adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine. And if that wasn't enough, Tom is also a practicing psychologist. Thank you so much for joining us at this uh, podcast number two. Well, thank you. It's nice to be with my favorite two business professors. All right. Oh, okay, one is over so right there. We're good. We're done here. <laughs> well, as we said, the topic today is on discernment, um, a subject that certainly you've spent a lot of time studying, but I don't know that everybody who's listening necessarily has a good sense for that, what that word means, or they might have a sense of that word only in a very narrow sense or specific sense. So maybe you could just give us a, a brief definition and it kind of explain it a little bit for everyone. Sure. And you said that I was an expert in discernment. I don't know if I'd call myself an expert. I'm a discerner, maybe. Oh. Being in Jesuit higher education for all these years, it's been almost, you know, we're getting close to 30 years uh, doing this. Ooh. And that's a long time. So, so in Jesuit higher education, we say, if you're not reflecting, you should be discerning. And if you're not discerning, you should be reflecting. Oh, my God. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's R&D. I know in the business world... Uh. You're used to R&D, research and development, but no, 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 no. At Jesuit schools, R&D is reflection and discernment. Lovely. That's what we do. And as a psychotherapist, you know, I'm a psychologist. I'm in practice. I've been in practice for a lot of years. We often ask our patients to discern, and we ask our students to discern. And it's basically, in a nutshell, you know, we're in this fast-paced, crazy world, as you know, and it's very hard for so many people to just stop and think and process and reflect and to see where they're called and so forth. And so we ask people to use some of these strategies that, you know, we believe come not only from Ignatian spirituality, but other, other located places to stop and pause and think and reflect and discern and find out where are you called? Where do you belong? And uh, there's a process to do this, and we um, and we encourage all of our students, all of my clinical patients, and um, and basically everyone who will listen to me to <laughs> to spend some time <laughs> reflecting and discerning so that they find their path. So maybe you can tell us more about this process or the framework. Yes. Yeah, so the framework, you know, and again, we'll try to make it pretty straightforward. We talk about the four D's. Is the four D's? D's is in you know discernment or David or whatever. And the first is discovery of one's gifts and talents and so forth. And it's so important to discover one's gifts. And you know sometimes people feel pressured or pu- pushed into certain areas. You know, like I can remember a student 
who felt like she had two choices in her career because of her parents insisted that she either do medicine or law. Those were her two choices. She could do either medicine or law. And she didn't like science. Uh, she didn't like, you know, labs and stuff like that. So she felt like law was her only choice. Mm. Well, that's hard when you feel pressured that you're not really investigating or reflecting or paying attention to your gifts, but rather being doing a forced march. And so many people do that. I can tell so many stories of people who have done a forced march um, rather than reflecting really on their gifts. So the first part of the process is discovering what are your gifts? Um, and that could be, you know, academic gifts. It could be music. It could be, you know, all sorts. Of, it could be, you know, mechanical. It could be all sorts of different athletic, all sorts of things. So there's this, uh, first is, is the discovery. The second has to do with detachment because there's all these voices in, in our heads, right? Telling us to do stuff. You need to do that. If you're going to make money in Silicon Valley, you need to be an engineer or you need to be coding or you need to be a venture capitalist, for example, something like that. You guys are business professors. You know about those things much more than me. <laughs> so, but, but we have to detach and say, hold it here. Can I spend some time not listening to all those voices out there uh, that are telling me I should do this and I should do that? So that's the second process is a period of detachment. Then the third is discernment, which is reflecting on our path and our calling to better understand what gives us consolation versus desolation. So consolation is like, yes, this feels good. This fits. This is right. And desolation is, no, I hate that. I don't like it. I'm bored. I'm not able or something like that. And so you want to pay attention to what gives you consolation and what gives you desolation. And then finally, the fourth D is direction. So then you take that information from the discovery process or, the, or stage, the detachment phase, the discernment phase, and that leads you to a direction or a path. And that this is an ongoing process. So that's basically the process. And I can tell you a gajillion stories of people doing this successfully or, you know, or, or using it to find their way. Could, could I ask a follow-up question, just more deeply understanding each of the parts? So for example, in the discovery phase, you talked about finding your gifts, but then later on you talked about um, trying to discern which gave you consolation or desolation. Mm -hmm. And so that tells me then that there might be something that I'm good at or one is good at, but doesn't necessarily fill you up as much as you think it should. Maybe you could just expand a little bit more there. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you know, like, for example, what kind of gets your blood flowing? What kind of do you feel so natural? I, I mean, I'll even I'll use my exam, my own example is a quick one, you know, you know, my, my father was in construction and his father was in construction and his father was in construction. None of them went um, to college. Um, none of them finished high school. And mm -hmm. it was expected of me to be in construction too. Well, if you ever saw me working with tools, <laughs> you would know that this would be a bad idea. Uh, I did not have those gifts, even though my father did, his father did, and his father did. And, uh, uh, and, and I remember when I was in junior high school, 
I uh, was, um, I was, I've always been a very nosy person, you know, like, <laughs> you know, why are people doing that? Why did he say that to her? Why did she say that to her? You know, this other person, why are they behaving that way? You know, I was always very nosy. And I was watching this television show, which was very popular in the 1970s called the Bob Newhart show, where he <laughs> plays the role of a psychologist. Right? Oh, yeah. And even though I didn't know any psychologists, I said, oh, this is great. You get to sit in an office and you talk to people and you try to help solve their problems. And they tell you all the intimate details of your life. What could be better? <laughs> <laughs> And I knew at that moment, and I'm in seventh grade, said, I want to be a psychologist uh, because it fits who I am. Mm -hmm. This did not go over well with my father, um, by the way. I, I still don't think it goes over well with him. But, but, uh, but, you know, it became clear that that was an interest. Another example is a colleague of mine who was president of the American Psychological Association a few years ago who uh, was, uh, uh, when I was a postdoc, no, intern and postdoc, she uh, taught a seminar. And uh, she was about, as a youngster, she was in ballet, loved ballet, totally into ballet. And then, you know, like a lot of people, you know, they get older, their body changes, and, and you know, she's not going to be a professional ballet uh, performer, but she's always loved ballet. So she ultimately became a psychologist and, you know, very successful. She's now at Emory in Atlanta. And one of her jobs, or one of her roles, is to consult with the um, uh, Atlanta Ballet. So she works with the mm -hmm. Atlanta Ballet on, you know, eating disorders and anxiety disorders and performance anxiety and all of that. And that's a good example of you take a gift that you have, and in her case, you know, it's ballet, and you parlay that in a way that you wouldn't be able to imagine, you know, you know, right at the get-go. Uh, that a psychologist finds herself very much involved with ballet. And so I think, I think it's part of the, the, the issue here is that we go through a process and it's a constant feedback loop. You know, you, you get feedback from peers, from professors, from so forth. Um, in, in, and sometimes you take that feedback and sometimes you don't. Like I remember a college, in college, a professor told me I should not get a PhD. I asked him for, <laughs> I asked him for a uh, you know, graduate school recommendation. Oh, he said, ouch. no, you should not get a PhD. He said, you should go to, you should be a social worker. And because I, at the time, I had a very thick Rhode Island accent from the great state of Rhode Island. And sometimes a Rhode Island accent doesn't sound very smart. Oh. Even though I had a straight, you know, 4.0 GPA, you know, at Brown at an Ivy League school, he, um, that accent did not suit me very well. And he said, no, you should not get a PhD. I said, well, I'm going to try anyways. I'll just ask somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you get feedback that's not helpful. And, that, and, and that, that's part of the discernment process too. It's not just mm -hmm. the good feedback, it's the bad feedback. Uh, that also is very, very helpful. And we, sometimes we don't pay attention to the bad feedback. Um, and I think we should because that tells us something. I always, uh, when I, especially for my, one of my classes, I remind students that you can be really good at something, but really not want to do it. And it reminds me of the discernment, discernment phase where you go from desolation to, to consolation. And my, I was in banking for, for quite a while. And 
it just strikes me as funny because you say desolation is similar to having fear and anxiety and consolation is that feeling of peace. Well, I can do international banking really well and I can, I'm excellent at accounting, but that doesn't give me peace. So I had to listen to myself for after a while. I'm like, wait a second, am I in the wrong career? Uh, yeah, I think so, because I can do it and I'm good at it, but that's not what brings me joy or peace. And mm -hmm. that's hard to do sometimes. Right, especially if you're good at it, people say that you're good at it and you get paid well for it, you know, then it's going to be hard to say no. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and and walk away. And uh, uh, so paying attention to the desolation is so important. It's not just what makes you feel good. It's also what makes you feel not so good that informs us. What, what strategies would you suggest for somebody that finds themselves in a place of desolation and they'd like to get back on a path of consolation um, and, and, and yet they feel stuck where they are? Yeah, and I, th I think that's a great question, and I'm really concerned about that because I think this happens to so many people. And certainly during our current times with the pandemic, I think it's especially true because everybody's kind of thrown off their game. And I really worry about that. And you think of all these people that are kind of going along doing their thing, and now their game is really thrown off. Maybe they just opened up a restaurant and it looks like they're going to have to close it. you know, Or maybe they're an athlete. And now they're not getting recruited or they can't perform or whatever. Right, and that right. whole identity is gone. Uh, and, and maybe they had a short window of opportunity that they could really do what they were planning on doing. So there's so many uh, times when people are sort of in that desolation and they're like, what do I do now? And I really hope that they turn to a supportive other, uh, whoever that might be, a supportive other. It could be a family member, it could be a cleric, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be a whatever, um, a friend, and say, can I have an honest conversation with you about this? Can you give me a little of your time so I can have an honest conversation about how I'm feeling? Because I feel uh, uh, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm adrift, or I feel lost, or I feel really discombobulated. And I really hope that people will do that. Um, and, uh, and there's certainly professional help, but there's also, um, you know, just, just a, a more paraprofessional or peer or whatever help. And just having people of goodwill to have real conversations about what's really going on, I think, can be very, very helpful to help move in a productive direction. So maybe you can say more about that, about why discernment matters, particularly now. Yeah, because I think discernment matters, particularly now, because there's for several reasons, one of which is that there's so many messages out there saying that what you should or shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's so many messages and people are on, whether it be in mass media, whether it's social media, well, whatever people are saying you should do this. And, and I think at least in our area in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, there is a lot of that. Uh, it's not only what you should do in terms of career or this or that, but, you know, what kind of car you should drive or whatever. My wife and I always joke that we live here in Menlo Park and we feel like we're going to get evicted from Menlo Park, even though we've been living here for 30 years. We're going to be evicted because we drive Hondas. <laughs> so, no one drives Hondas in Menlo Park. 
I mean, if you don't have a Tesla, you know, and neither <laughs> one of us have anything to do with business or venture capital or computers. Two psychologists living in Menlo Park, driving Hondas. What this were you thinking? Do, exactly. Yeah. They're going to throw me out. And, and I think the only reason why they- Your pass will be revoked. Exactly. We're going to lose our passports. So I think there's all sorts of messages from all sorts of places saying, this is how you should live your life. Mm-hmm. And then you say, I don't know if I want to live my life that way. You know, right. my, my 2001 Honda Accord works just fine. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> And so, so, so mm-hmm. that's important. Now, the second reason why it's so important now is because of this you know, pandemic that we're all going right. through, where we've all been thrown curveballs. Now, some of us, like like the three of us, university professors and all of that, you know, we have it pretty darn good. You know, we can do our work on Zoom, you know, and certainly one, you know, and we don't, we, once we have tenure and full professor and all that kind of stuff, you're not worried about, oh my God, I got to crank this all this stuff out and, you know, for, in order for me to, um, you know, move forward in my career. And so, I mean, we have it awfully, awfully good. Um, even as a psychologist in practice, I can see my patients through Zoom or other electronic means using telehealth. We have it good. And some folks, they just can't do what they want to do or, or get paid to do until this pandemic goes away. And, uh, and so that's another time when people have to really shift um, and say, well, if I, if I can't do X, I gotta, I gotta figure out a why and what is that why. Now I've got a patient in my practice right now who's in that kind of situation, um, you know, and he was in the business world and all of that stuff. Anyways, the bottom line is he's he's at the age of you know fifty, having to you know rethink everything and going in a in a totally new direction. And that's not so easy when you're fifty and you know you have a child and you know and all of that um, to have to make a dramatic um, career change. There's a lot of things you've said, if someone's in that position, a lot of things they've set up in their life that sort of hinge on a previous decision, even if that decision wasn't the right one for them. Yeah. 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 And you feel that for all, you know, you feel that with our students, you know, so many of our students, I get so many emails and you probably do too of students who, who have said, well, I had an internship all lined up and that kind of disappeared. So what am I supposed to do now? Or I was thinking about doing X and well, that's not going to happen. So what, what do I do now? And, you know, you have so many of these conversations with students yeah. who, um, who had it all figured out. And now they just don't. Thank you Definitely. so much.